Welcome to this episode of the Heartbeat for Hire podcast. I feature Olympians, CEOs, disruptors, authors, professional athletes, and the best of the best, where they share their stories of resilience with my lens on leadership and culture. Let's get started. Greetings and welcome to this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. I am so thrilled to bring our guest to you today. Heidi Ridley is the co-founder, CEO, and chair of the board of Radiant ESG Global Investors, culminating 30 years of leadership in asset management roles that encompass business management, investments, product development, institutional and intermediary business development, and marketing. Prior to establishing Radiant ESG, Heidi spent 18 years at AXA Investment Managers, rising to global chief executive of Rosenberg Equities under her direction. Rosenberg Equities substantially added to its reputation by becoming the first ESG integrated quantitative equity investor to be focused on the intersection of ESG insights and advanced factor solutions. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Heidi earned her bachelor's degree in economics from UC Berkeley and competed the Stanford Graduate School of Business Ex Executive Education program. It goes on and on and on. And I just want to jump right into it, Heidi. So let's just start. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so honored having listened to so many of your other Olympians and <laughs> best-selling authors and keynote speakers and TV anchors. I'm a little intimidated, but I'm excited no, to be here. <laughs> you are in great company and your pedigree and uh, bio is just astounding. I really had to cut it short and I even left some stuff off. So there is so much for people to learn about you, but will you just do us the honor and tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, I'm the oldest of four girls. I was born actually in Iran. My father's Iranian. My mom's American, but looks a lot more like you. She's Norwegian descent. Um, I had, I guess, quite a varied upbringing. My father really grew up in poverty, had nothing, um, became a pretty successful entrepreneur. So I was born into, I would say, a very comfortable life um, that was split between sort of Tehran and California. Um, we would go back and forth and spend time in both places. Um, following the revolution, you know, my dad lost everything. So we had to restart in California. And that, I guess, second entrepreneurial journey was was met with very mixed results. Um, so my, you know, my parents were and, and are very, very loving parents. But I think that stress created more volatility at wow. home that I found myself navigating as a high schooler. So things went from like, super great and calm to very tumultuous. Um, and I think, you know, that really propelled me to really always want to be on my own and be totally independent. I was quite shy earlier on. Um, you wouldn't guess it now, but <laughs> I think that was, you know, a little bit forged from that. I wanted to be independent, you know, financially and otherwise. And so I kind of balanced college with, you know, pretty full work schedule to pay for tuition and living expenses and couldn't wait to graduate just so I could work, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but the reality is I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I was super fortunate to stumble into the asset management business in the early 90s. It was very different then oh, yeah. in many ways. Um, but I was hooked, you know, by the by the focus on, you know, helping people achieve financial stability. And so the rest is history in many ways. You know, I've worked for some great organizations over the course of 30 plus years in, in this business, but 
Uh, I would say like you and many of your guests, I, I made what for me was a big pivot um, at, this, at the start of the pandemic, totally unrelated, by the way, I may not have actually timed it that way if I'd had a choice, but I just sort of felt a calling to, to go out on my own. And now I'm an unexpected entrepreneur and, and founder of a boutique asset management firm. And I'm also a mom to four boys and, and a fairly recent empty nester, a couple years in. Um, so all my energy is kind of going into into the new company and and that adjustment of quiet after you know four boys in the house. So oh, I love it, and um, I love how it was the four girls, and now it's the four boys. That's it's, it's so cool. And my dad had five brothers; he was one of six boys. So it's kind of this generation. Oh my god, thing. that's amazing! Well, it'll be interesting to see what your boys end up with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your exactly. girls. Um, so for those that don't know, what does ESG mean? Why should anyone care about it? I mean, I know what the acronym is, but I'm sure there's some listeners that don't. Yeah, no, especially now. I think, you know, it, there's so much confusion um, in the marketplace as to what, let's start with ESG, environmental, social, and governance issues mean. And and in, in investments, it's meant a lot of different things. The way it started way back in the day was what used to be termed SRI or socially responsible investing. And that was really by and large more about expressing your own personal values in your investments. So, you know, you may not believe in certain types of businesses or practices. And so you don't want to include those in your portfolios just from a values or moral perspective. And that practice still continues. Um, people can do custom solutions that embed their own personal values. So that so that's one dimension of it. Um, there are other dimensions where people might take, you know, an index and and try to tilt it to make it look, um, you know, better in terms of its ESG footprint than their portfolio would look better than the benchmark. But you're by and large running many of similar stocks in in different um, proportions. What our belief is, is that really, I would say it's accelerated post pandemic, but started far before then is that companies, when you think of them as investments, are facing, you know, many, many different influences today that have greater import than they had 20 years ago. So, and they fall under these headers of environmental, like, you know, your practices, um, how much are you depleting natural resources in what you do? Um, social is really more about how you deal with your employee base and your labor force and your supply chain. Um, governance is really more about, frankly, how you manage your business, um, how you govern your business. That's probably the most obvious in an investment context. But I think that, you know, at least our belief is that these influences, however you want to label them, have been having and are continuing to have a profound impact on companies as investments. And I would say there are two big things that have happened or trends that are happening that are ushering this in, and I think will ensure it's permanent. So in other ways, it's it's not a fleeting concept. And, and one is the rise of social media. Mm-hmm. So back in the day, if companies run afoul of anything, you would have to read about it in the bottom section of the corner of a newspaper, right. you know, five pages in. Now, when companies run afoul of anything, it's all over Twitter, it's on social media, the awareness is huge, and the tolerance is lower. Right. And why is the tolerance lower? It's because we are seeing generations to come really valuing this sort of more stakeholder mindset, what a company's influences in totality, not just what it brings its shareholders, as really important. And so 
as we see what I would, you know, characterize as this massive generational transfer of wealth that's happening that people, I think, dismiss in many ways because they're thinking the millennials don't really have the money. So kind of why does it matter, which mm-hmm. makes me scratch my head. But the first transfer of wealth actually is going to be in the baby boomer, boomer generation from husband to wife. Yeah. And I can tell you women and men think very differently about their own investments. And so you've got this sort of different attitudes that that investors are bringing. You've got these influences on companies. And we just believe that, you know, maybe not in totality, but there's good economic materiality in this information, because the way you think about it is what are the total threats and opportunities a company faces? You know, where are they physically located? Does that present new threats from climate change that weren't there 12 years ago? Do we need to think about that? So for us, it's very much a and economic materiality. How do we find out if there's any information here that would let us know more about a company as a potential investment? But because there's a range of ways of looking at it, from the values driven that I talked about to what we're doing, there's a lot of confusion and politics today isn't helping either. Um, It's getting very convoluted with more of a social engineering agenda, woke agenda. And uh, and that's been challenging. It's challenging to navigate because there's a you know um, a lot of confusion in the marketplace about it. You, know, but- you said a couple of things that um, I just want to hone in on because I think now more than ever we see that people vote with their dollars, and right. we see. Um, I know when I have conversations with my investment managers, I. I'm very clear about the kinds of companies I want to invest in and they'll suggest some and I'm like, no, actually, I don't really like their reputation and I don't like what they're doing in this market or what with this practice. Um, And I don't think anybody has had those conversations before. It's been more like, what is this going to do for my bottom line? And people really are voting that way. So from a leadership perspective, what is your observation. I like hearing that ESG is here to stay. And I think this is a concept that people need to embrace. But, you know, you're in such an ego driven environment that people are like, you know, I've been doing it this way for 30 years and I know my stuff, ESG, whatever. Yeah, we'll put it in our mission statement. But how important is it for leaders to actually pay attention to this and really mold and modify their practices? I think it's critically important. I mean, I think that society is more and more right or wrong, looking to companies and CEOs of companies to take a stand, to really, you know, take their responsibilities seriously. And again, far beyond profits that they bring their shareholders. There is a view that if you if you do consider the totality of these issues, you're you're going to be more relevant. If you understand where the that the future is going to look especially post-pandemic, very different from the past, and you want to create a business that's going to be relevant in that future, it's incumbent upon you to understand it and to be in a position to pivot your business to, to ensure its relevancy. And that's kind of how we how we really see it. I mean, again, let's throw labels aside. This is all about there is there are other things that manifest in terms of, again, these threats and opportunities within a company's ecosystem that just don't show up in financial statements mm-hmm. and aren't, frankly, as easy to quantify. But does that mean they're not important? Absolutely not. And so you've got a couple of different things going on. Um, one that you just you you triggered, which I feel incumbent to, to point to, is that when I've talked to people again in the past about you know ESG, again, when it was much earlier back in my Rosenberg days, um, 
you know, again, it was back to the, oh, it's just the millennials. And what people don't understand that I understand as a parent is you don't have to have the money, but you can be incredibly influential. Daughters, sons yeah. of parents will say, oh, we, we can't go. We can't shop there because they do this and that. There is influence. Yeah. You don't have to be the one writing the check or providing the credit card. So there is influence. But I think that what I'm, I guess, maybe most baffled by in the current environment is, again, labels aside, just this notion that you would limit the amount of information you can consider about a company. Mm. I mean, effectively, if you strip it down for those places where it's like you cannot consider ESG, effectively, they're saying you can only consider what's in the financial statement. And to me, that's just Crazy. And doesn't it nope. make you want to do the opposite? Where they... else in finance would you want to know less as opposed to more about what a company's potentially facing? And yeah. that's that's the logical reality of it. And so for me, I guess um, I really would hope that our industry would feel the the strength um, and the courage to stand by the conviction. Because the reality is you don't hear any credible institutional investors questioning the potential materiality of this information. All that's happening is people are still thinking about it, considering it, and just not really talking about it as much because it's so taboo. And I don't think that serves us well either. I think well, it's really you, important. You just hit on the reason I wanted to have you on the show was because uh, you, and you said it to me when we chatted a, a while ago was that you're putting the heart in a business where it seems to be missing in a lot of cases. And I think, you know, we're seeing this across the whole leadership landscape of business that, you know, people do really want those leaders that are motivated by their heart and their humanity. And I don't think the financial industry is exempt from that. And I loved that you stand for this and you are an example for doing what's right. And I think the guys that are saying, don't look over here, that's the first place you want to look as soon as someone says that. So it makes you think there's something wrong. So um, acting with integrity is such an important piece of every leader um, or a, a, a quality that every leader should have. Yeah. And in this space where there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, I, I love that this is a conversation that's really relevant and it's profitable. I mean, can you talk about like why ESG is profitable and why it's meaningful to the bottom line? Attention, visionary leaders, are you ready to elevate your leadership style and create an exceptional workplace that stands out from the crowd? I'm here to introduce you to a game-changing resource that will transform the way you lead and shape your company culture. It's time to embrace the power of top-down culture. This practical guide empowers your leadership for lasting success, helping you create a workplace where everyone thrives. Get top-down culture today. And let's reshape the future of leadership together. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot in, in what you said. I think, you know, um, the, the first thing that I would just touch on very quickly is that, you know, as leaders, it's incumbent upon us to lead. And the challenge is that in asset management, there the barriers to entry are high, I can tell you that. Um, the challenge it's to be profitable is very real, especially with a lot of downward pressure on fees. And so it's very um, alluring for firms to want to say whatever they need to say, create whatever products need to be created to try to attract 
attention, even if it's not part of their core belief system or it's not necessarily where they think they're going to deliver the best results, so on and so forth. And that has just been a feature of our business mm. for a long, long time. It, and it's hard to change within very, very large organizations because you've got so many different constituents. I mean, it's as a boutique, you know, yeah, you could say it's easier for me to have conviction and stand by my conviction, but I'm a smaller voice. And so that's why I really feel like it's important as an industry for us, if we really believe in something and that it has material value, then why would we quiet our voices and make the confusing voices louder, right? Yeah. So so that's sort of part of the challenge, but you asked the question about um, how does that translate into returns, you yeah. know, if you will. And and it's funny because with everything that's going on, you know, I, I do have friends from time to time, you know, oh, how, how's your business going? You know, if I, you know, I know you guys are focused on ESG and I've heard it, you know, really takes away from returns and, it's everything I can do to not just say, well, look at our returns and then let's have a yeah. conversation. Um, you know, because, it, you know, at the end of the day, part of the challenge is some of uh, the information and ESG insights is longer horizon. It, it plays out over a longer period of time. And the reality is you are balancing that time horizon mismatch with, with today. What, what are my returns today? What are my returns the next quarter? You know, it's a very short term focus on performance that can be very influenced by macro environments and sectors that come in and out of favor, like are oil stocks doing well or poorly. I can guarantee you there's a correlation between are oil stocks doing well or poorly and whether ESG is a good or bad thing. Yeah. Um, so so people need to acknowledge that we're talking about a balancing act between right. the short term and the long term. And for us, we recognize that we we only invest in public equities, and so we recognize if we don't deliver the returns, no one's going to stick with the strategy to really, you know, sort of see it through. But you know, I have to say, we personally launched last year in the, into a bear market for equities, a bear market for growth, um, and we outperformed, and we've outperformed this year, which is a very different market environment. And so, I guess you know. It's a short track record, to be fair, but I don't think ESG is detracting. I think our own research has shown that it's been additive, both in terms of adding value in terms of opportunity, but also reducing risk. Yeah, I so. love that. And in my mind, I'm drawing this correlation to um, positive leadership style, positive culture, and a similar thing with ESG. And it's harder to prove, it's harder to show, you know, direct line results yes, when yeah. you build good culture. But yeah, we can measure it. We can look at attrition. We can look at um, how are people performing after they've been training? Are they being promoted after they've been training? How long do they stand in that, stay in that role? I mean, there's lots of metrics to measure, but it's not a, if you improve your culture, you're going to get a bottom line 2% increase. Like you're, you're yeah, not exactly. It's hard to disentangle those yeah. things. Yeah. But I do really feel like the leaders that get it right, understand that this is a fundamental uh, way to live and a way to lead and a way to take care of your people. And, you know, you look at people like Sir Richard Branson, who's been taking care of his people for as long as he's had his companies and he's doing quite well. So right. <laughs> he doesn't suffer because he's taking care of his people. And so I love this conversation. And that's why I wanted you on the show so badly, because this is a space where, you know, 
we know it to be cutthroat. We know it to be very male, very ego, very pale male and stale. You know, diversity is not, you know, seeping through the pores of this industry. And I love to see that it's changing. And I love that you're a woman and leading with this. I mean, your company's name has ESG in it. It's just, it's great. So whenever I can show an example of this is possible and this is another way to think about it, I, I love to open people's eyes that way. So thank you for, for yeah, that. Of it's course. so important. Am I tracking right though, that it is a similar correlation to leadership? Yeah. Well, I think the core, yes. I mean, I, that's, what's interesting about it. And the example you gave and as well, as well as with our firm, the more there is, you know, um, no daylight between what you believe in and do as a team and as an organization and what you express in your goods and services, in our case, and the products that we deliver, the more authentic you're going to be. Right. So if, if you're going out there and you're saying, you know, ESG is in my DNA and we think about all these things and we won't invest in companies that don't have X amount of diversity or Y amount of ESG footprint, and then you look at your own organization, you don't even meet those standards. There's, you know, there's a cognitive dissonance. And so part of our goal in, in the foundation of Radiant was that we will not demand things of portfolio companies that we aren't setting the standard for ourselves. And so, for example, when we, you know, we're, we've got the great benefit of being supported by a number of very um, you know, credible specialist providers. And mm-hmm. in evaluating them, you know, we not only looked at their technical capabilities, but we also wanted to deeply understand what is their current, you know, ESG footprint, commitment to diversity, you know, how do they think about that? And it's, and it's something that we feel extremely strongly about, especially mm-hmm. in protecting our own brand. Yeah. And so it's really important. I think it's a lot easier for companies when if there's authenticity there, there's sort of this, you know, we're a diverse owned firm. Why? Because it's the nice thing to do. It's the fair thing to do um, because it looks good. No, I actually believe that there's genuinely a diversity alpha. I, I've seen it, witnessed it. I was CEO of the firm that I was at before. Um, and I've I've absolutely seen situations in which I myself had a very strong view about something, a decision. I my my gut instinct is very strong. I almost always rely on it. But I've had one person make one comment that was something I didn't even think about, mm. and it's it's absolutely either changed my mind or caused me to really refine or rethink what I was thinking. Mm. And that's where you see you're like that's where the aha moment comes from. Is just complete, you know, my, my co-founder is, you know, a white woman like me, we couldn't be more different. I mean, there are so many times where we say to each other, wow, I didn't even think about that. Or, wow, I can't believe you knew that. And, and so that's where I think this whole, you know, benefit of diversity comes in. Sure. It, it, it is fair. We should give people, you know, opportunity and not judge a book by its cover and all those things. But once people start to really appreciate the economic benefit you know, that how it can create more profitability, how it can enable you to attract and retain employees better, Mm -hmm. how you can be more innovative, then we'll have more traction. We're not there yet Mm -hmm. um, by any stretch of the imagination, but, but Hey, again, between the confusion around ESG, that's causing a lot of hand wringing and this continued questioning about diversity as active managers, 
those are inefficiencies we can exploit to the benefit of our clients. So I'm okay with it. <laughs> I, I think it's tremendous. And I, I will say that, you know, from managing really diverse teams in the past, my teams, the more diverse my teams were, the better we were, the more innovative we were, the more creative we were, the, the more we sought to understand each other. And whenever you can create that environment for people, you're, you're going to generate more results, better results, you're going to innovate more. And it's just, um, there's so much benefit to that. And people want to buy from who they look like. It's just, that's a yeah. fact. Um, but the key so word is the, is the environment word. Lindsay, yeah. Because I mean, you know, what we saw happening a few years ago when really the diversity drumbeat was reaching a crescendo yeah. was chief diversity officers hired right. left and right. You know, now you've got quotas, you're, you're mm -hmm. tasking your HR people with, and what, what we started to see was more of an expensive revolving door where, okay, you might get that diverse talent in. But they come right in now. and they realize they're the token person. Like nothing's changed in the environment to actually value what they bring to the table. It looks good on paper, but they realize very, very quickly that they're there for the optics yeah. and not for the intelligence. And that's huge. So one of the biggest things we preach, if you will, is this notion of an inclusive culture is so critical. You know, yeah. my team knows that everyone brings a perspective to the table. Not only are Catherine and I open to their viewpoints, we expect them to it. challenge and debate. That's what they're there that. for. That's what and the so leaders do. It's I a know. demand. It's not, it's not a like willingness, openness. No, it's, it's like, no, I genuinely want to know what you think, you know? Um, and and that has been a bit of the challenge is no one's willing to evolve yeah. the environment to bring out the best of it. So they don't see the best of it. And then it's sort of this self-fulfilling thing of like, well, I don't know, I don't know what this is all about anyway. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. And I, I think when you challenge your, your team to contribute that way and you create that space for them to be a psychologically safe, but be able to um, share their ideas without fear of retribution or retaliation or like, oh my God, that was dumb. You know, you, you cannot set up your environment that way. You have to be able to say, look, everybody's ideas are, are valued. Not all of them are going to be accepted, but at least come to the table and try because we're going to learn from you when you can create that space and when you can offer that support to your team. That's when the magic happens. So I yeah. totally agree. Um, so I'm going to shift gears a little. Um, and here's a question a friend of mine said to me the other day that um, she had achieved uh, a world record, really impressive. She's actually on my podcast next week. And um, she said that being a mom made her a better climber. She was a mountain climber. Um, and I just wondered for you, you know, being a mom of four, how has that shaped your career trajectory and has it helped you? Gosh, you know, what's really interesting is in that analogy, I don't know if I could say that because I feel like in some ways I've become more risk averse sure. as a mom. But it shaped so, you. Yeah, but it, definitely. Um, but I, I would say absolutely net net for the better. Mm. Um, you know, for me, it was always important to be in a, a role model. So not to just talk about things, but to to model, you know, what I think is important in terms of values, in terms of 
um, attributes um, and characteristics. And so, you know, part of the challenges as a working mom, I, I was traveling a lot yeah. um, and that was difficult. Uh, but, you know, I had an amazing, amazing support system. Our nanny's still with us. My son's off to college. She's like part of the family. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without her. So I view it as in some ways additive because she also brought, you know, something to the table. But especially now, you know, just thinking about, you know, my four boys, um, you know, in an environment where we are focused on diversity and we think it's important. I do think that it will ultimately make the whole economy better and it will be better for them as much as it is better. I don't view it as a zero sum game, you know, but I also have to say the way it's shaped me is their influence on me because they're different than me, you know, and uh, sometimes surprisingly so, uh, you know, and it's, they really teach me, I think, to be more grounded. And I'm, I'm very beyond a type personality. And, and they have really helped me to just, you know, and that's been super important, because I do, I do become one with what I do. I'm either 150% in or I'm not. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, I think it's more that teaching that is really kind of engulfed, I guess, my world is like, wow, I observe them in stressful situations. And I feel like I'm someone who can handle stress pretty darn well, Yeah, but they just have a different approach to it. And I'm, I feel like I've learned as much from them as I, as I hope they have for me, but it's been one of my greatest joys being a mom, actually. Yeah. I, I feel the same. I have a 15 year old twins, so I'm not oh quite my gosh. yet, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not far behind you. And I, I do find myself, you know, okay, if I would lead this way to an organization, why am I not speaking that way to my kids? And, you know, it's so much easier to just yell and scream and I would never do that in a work setting. So you've got to like check yourself and make sure that you're doing right by your kids the same way you would by the people you manage. So I mean, it's interesting, though, thinking back to the fear comment and your climber example yeah. is I do have to say, you know, we're skiers as a family. My ki- I didn't learn until I was much later in age. My kids learned from like age three. Um, and there have been many, many times that they have talked me off a ledge. <laughs> My little kids, you know, yeah. on their like six and seven year olds on skis going, mom, you could do it. So I guess I can see that side of it too, is, is encouraging me to do more than I think I'm sometimes capable of. I love that. So Heidi, what inspires you? Well, besides them, um, just because they are so different, my husband and my boys are just so different and they, you know, they're what I do a lot of what I do for. So that, that would certainly be a a point of inspiration, but I mean, I guess more broadly, um, the underdog, like the underdog story. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people would be very surprised to hear that. I watch some of these, you know, like American Idol or voice shows and I get kind of teary eyed sometimes their stories, their stories are just incredible. And just stories of overcoming anyone who is courageous enough and and can tap into something they didn't even know they had to overcome a situation, whether it's to pursue a dream or whether it's just to survive and thrive and move forward is just incredible to me. Uh, I've lived my own tiny little version of it, but then when I look at what other people have to go through, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just it's incredible to me. It just to me says, you know, nothing is without reach and nothing is not possible if you have the right mindset. 
Um, well, so that's a huge source. You just described the whole podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's I listen to like 10 of them. Yeah, but so. that's why I do this. And that's, yeah. you know, for me, there are people that have never experienced good leaders. There are people that are in the fight of their life with a health battle. There are yeah. people that have been fired like I was. And finding your purpose and finding your your raison d'etre is so important. And these stories model the possible. And that's why, that's why I do it. So, yeah, I mean, in some cases it requires, unfortunately, trauma or something painful that causes you to come into contact with who you are as a person, that's right. you know, and what traits are going to serve you well and what you need to do. But I find that very, very inspirational. Good. Um, and what would you like your legacy to be? Legacy. Um, I would say professionally, I hope that what I I leave I leave this industry in particular as being maybe one of the groundbreakers for other women in asset management, which is crazy to say in 2023 um, that we're still having to make that comment. But it's as it's as important as ever, and it was one of my goals with Radiant was to pave the way for you know women and underrepresented groups for for generations to come, and I, I hope that um, part of that is being someone who was viewed as you know truly authentic, willing to stand up for what I believe in and go against the grain, you know, when the situation calls for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess personally, I guess I would say I I hope that you can, the legacy would be that you can fiercely love and treasure your family and, and still be your own person. So not just mom and wife, um, and that I've set a great example of, of that balancing act. Um, I don't know. Oh, well, you are deep in the legacy and you're someone that I admire so much and just am so grateful that you shared your passion and your drive with all of us, because this is how we learn. This is how we get better. And I think for the people out there that invest and the people out there that have some familiarity with this space, this is a really refreshing way to look at the financial industry and see how it's changing. Um, so I'm so grateful for Hopefully. you. To share <laughs> yeah, well, but we've got to use our voice to get it there yeah. because if people don't know these stories and they don't know, like if you can't be what you can't see. So absolutely. Hopefully this helps. Um, so Heidi, what's next for you and how do people find you? Uh, what's next for us is building on this incredible foundation for our firm. And I'm super excited about, you know, the path ahead for us. It's, it's an incredible team with incredible shared purpose. And, uh, and I think we're in a really good place. So I'm excited to see it take off, take flight. Uh, and people can find us at radiantesg.com. Um, we also have a LinkedIn page. I, I'm personally on LinkedIn as well. Uh, so I would love to be connected with any of your, your lovely audience, having listened to so many of the other um, people that you've had on who've been so inspirational. It's been great. Thank you. It's been a total joy and a thrill to have you on the show. You guys, please connect with Heidi. She's great on LinkedIn. She has awesome posts and so much information. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. This was such a treat. So thanks for being on the show. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. Stay tuned for more. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Heartbeat for Hire podcast. If you liked what you heard, please consider leaving a five-star review on Spotify or Apple and subscribe to my YouTube channel. I would be ever so grateful. I hope you found it useful. Have a wonderful day.